Let's go to Philippians uh, chapter 4. I just noticed right now in between services the graphic that Henry chose uh, for today. Did you guys see it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He put a roller coaster. I was like, hey, I didn't even notice that. How many of you like roller coasters? Would any of you not go down that roller coaster? I'm just curious. Some of you would not go down? Well, the, today's study is for you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love roller coasters. I really do. So anyways, here we're going to see this is an awesome section as we're just continuing our journey through the Bible. We're finishing up the book of Philippians. And that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We know that many athletes use it. We're going to talk about some athletes in just a little bit. But ultimately, it's interesting, the context in which it was spoken was actually a context of finances and and money. And so here's Paul the Apostle writing to the Philippians. Basically, he's writing a letter to thank them for the money that they had sent his way. And so what if, what if you were a missionary pastor in jail under house arrest for preaching the gospel and a church sent you financial aid? You know, they put it in your books. I know for us as a church, we've had people call us from jail and asking for money, you know, asking for help. And we've helped them. You know, have you guys ever helped someone in in jail? You've done that, right? Have you guys ever been in jail and needed help? You don't have to raise your hand. But, you know, we've been in situations like that, right? What if uh, prior to that, you never asked for money, but that same church, not a rich church, they sent generous donations to help you as you served in the ministry. Well, that's exactly what the Philippian church did. They loved and supported Paul the Apostle as he preached the gospel. And not that he necessarily had favorites, right? But there was a special place in his heart, not just for the cash they donated, but for the care they demonstrated. They really cared for him. I don't know if you guys have learned this or life. Have you guys learned this? And it's kind of a hard lesson, and I don't want to be weird or anything, but some people care, and some people don't. Some churches care, and some churches really don't. Well, the Philippian church was a church that cared. And so this letter was written in response to the way they cared and contributed to the one who was incarcerated. And as Paul closes his letter here, we're going to see some really important lessons on life and money and how we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so as we go through this final section, a couple of things kind of stood out to me. Number one, how we have to be caring with the money you give. And so we all have probably a little bit of money, those of us here who live in the United States of America. We have a little bit of money, and so we we need to be caring. We need to, have you guys ever heard that saying, sharing is caring, right? So we have to share. Number one, be caring with the money you give. And then number two, interesting, be content with the money that you have. Notice what we read here in verse 10. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And so here we have the word care uh, a couple of times. Another translation, they use the word concern. And so they were concerned about Paul, thinking about this guy. He's under house arrest. You know, he's arrested for preaching the gospel. Does he have everything he needs? 
I wonder how he's doing. And so they had it in their heart to give to him, but they couldn't just send a gift. Uh, there wasn't like Zelle or Venmo or Apple Pay or anything like that. And so they had to wait for someone to travel the 800 miles from Philippi to Rome, and it would have to be somebody that they trusted. And so eventually this guy named Epaphroditus, he stepped up, and he was going to make the journey to take the contribution to Rome. And when they got there, it just blessed Paul's heart. And so the church gave to him. They gave to the apostle. They gave to the gospel. They, they cared about him. They were concerned about him. And they showed it not just in lip service, but they showed it with action, right? And so for us, you know, we got a, a little bit of money. You know, prayerfully, we'll be inspired by the Philippians who gave because they cared. Okay, so number one, be caring with the money you give. And number two, be content with the money you have. So Paul was grateful. He was grateful for them. But look what he says in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You know, basically he says, I, I've learned no matter what the circumstances are in my life, I'm good. I, I'm cool with that. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, we'll talk about this and the balance and all this kind of stuff, but, you know, contentment at the end of the day, it doesn't usually come naturally. It didn't even come naturally for Paul. Here he admits that it's something he had to learn in life. The Greek word right here, it often describes a disciple or someone who's passionate to learn. They're eager to increase their knowledge. And so it was something that Paul, over time, number one, he learned through the scriptures. And number two, he just learned uh, through life. You know, are you there? Are we there? Contentment is quite a climb. It's a journey. But when you get to that place of contentment, man, what a view you have from there. It's life-changing when you come to that place of contentment. You know, I, I've come to realize now, as I'm a little older, that, that, that 10 pairs of shoes is actually enough for me, man. <laughs> When you count my flip-flops and my swimming shoes, uh, 10 is enough for a guy, not a girl, a guy, it's enough, I would say, right? My wife, have I, I, we've learned that we can survive on one car. Yeah, my, our daughter does help us, but you know what? We're, we're still alive, even though we only have, you know, one car. Um, we've learned to live on simple diets. Um, you know, we've talked about this a lot, beans and rice and... Jesus Christ, right? And sometimes that's what God will provide. And speaking of Jesus, think about Jesus. He did a whole lot with a whole lot of nothing. He didn't have a lot. You know, by the time he died on the cross, he, you know, retired from his carpentry business. When he was 30, in the last three and a half years, he lived on donations. He died on the cross for all of our sins, all the things that he did. And he didn't have a whole lot. All he owned was the clothes that he wore. And so for us, you know, we have to look at this and ask the Lord, well, how does it work for me, Lord? Not that all Christians are supposed to be poor. Christians must, you know, find God's will. We can't pledge ourselves to poverty necessarily. But what we've learned from Christ is very important. We've got to know the calling. We have to know contentment. Later on, Paul would pass this on to his young protege, Timothy, who was about to preach it to the congregation in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 6 through 8. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for he brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. 
And so think about that. Godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and when we leave, we're not going to be able to carry anything out. And so he says something interesting. So having food and clothing, in one sense, he says that's enough. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't own a car or own a home or have any other possessions? Uh, of course not, you guys. We, we, you know, we know that the way that God works in our life, I, I'll tell you what, God teaches us contentment, but God also teaches us to work hard, right? Aren't you supposed to work hard? You're supposed to be a good worker. And if you're a good worker, there's a good chance that you might make good money. If you're a good, hard worker, you might get promoted. Next thing you know, whatever, you start a business, you make a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with that as long as that doesn't become your goal, as long as that doesn't become your God. John Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So earning and saving money is not bad. It's loving money. And the things that money can buy, that's what's bad. First Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It says right here that some have even strayed from the faith and experienced unnecessary sorrows. Again, God's not against money. It's the love of money that we need to guard against. It's a love of the things that money can buy that sometimes get in the way of what God has called us to do. I've seen some people, you know, they have a lot of money. They've got good money. They love the Lord. They love people. I've seen it with my own eyes. And they serve the Lord faithfully. So, so just because an individual makes money doesn't make them bad. But there are others that I've seen, unfortunately, that don't love people. They don't love the Lord. They don't serve the Lord because of those things. And so we all have to check our own heart. Is money or the things money can buy interfering with my calling from Christ? Is money or the things that money can buy interfering with my caring for others? You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they'll lie and they'll say, hey, you just don't have enough. That's the bottom line. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, if I made more money, or if I had a better job, or if I got married, or if I had a kid, or whatever it is, whatever it is that you put on the list, then if I just made a little more money, or a lot more money, or if I got a house, then I would be content. No, you'll never be content with those things, because those things are never the source of contentment. The source of contentment must be Christ. Hebrews 13.5, it says that, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so again, those things, if you're pursuing those things, that's what God says is wrong. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with what you have. You got 10 pairs of shoes? That's fine. You guys are okay if I wear this in four weeks, right? I mean, it's no big deal, right? Some people think, well, I got to wear something different every single time I go to church. And so I'll tell you what, that can add up to a lot of money that we're spending on clothes. And there you are, and you can't even give to God the 10%. You can't give to the offerings the way that God has called you to. Why? Because a lot of times we're making those wants needs. And what Paul is saying right here is very important. It's very life-changing for us. 
One person said, contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. I don't, I mean, I don't know how you guys are, and I, I feel bad. I actually feel bad. I think I have like 45 T-shirts, 45 T-shirts. And you know how they accumulate over the years. Oh, you go to a men's conference, or Calvary Chapel, I'll buy a new T-shirt. You know, someone buys you one. Next thing you know, have you guys ever experienced where they can't fit in your drawer anymore? And you're like, whoa. And then, you, you know, obviously you have to start getting, giving them away. But still, I mean, what am I going to do with 45 T-shirts? All I know is that for us, for whatever reason, we think that we don't have enough. You need the, the bigger house. You need the faster car. You need the newest phone. I mean, we're never content. And we have to be so careful with this. Paul said, I've learned the importance of contentment. Verse 12, he says, I know how to, to be abased, and that is to live humbly. I know how to abound, that is to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and both to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. And here's that verse stuffed in the context of finances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Paul the Apostle had definitely lived in days in which, you I mean, he literally didn't have any food. He didn't have the things that he needed, you know. He's got torn up clothes, and, you know, living that type of life. And he says, I, I've learned to be able to be fine and dandy and, and joyful and productive and just awesome. I mean, praise God. When I was there, everything was good. And then the times when I had whatever, a million dollars, it didn't, it didn't diminish my love for God. I still love God. I still love people. I still serve the Lord faithfully. I mean, both of those things would be challenging, to be honest. But he says, I've learned to be able to be, a, you know, abased and, and abound. And we have to have that same mentality because we don't know where God is going to lead us. I mean, do you guys remember those days of bologna sandwiches? Any of you guys remember those days? How many of you had bologna sandwiches when you were younger, some of you? Uh, I remember bologna tor- burritos, I guess you would call them. You know, you put the bologna in the tortilla. How about fideo? You know, fideo is good. I think we got a picture of that. Makes you want to have some, huh? You know, but they, I, I was looking this up online. It's interesting. They call it budget-friendly. Yeah, it sure is budget-friendly. You know, but man, we, we lived on stuff like that, right? Paul the Apostle, again, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And he did go through that. 1 Corinthians 4.11 says, To the present hour, we are both hunger and thirst, and we're poorly clothed and beaten and even homeless. Did you know that the great apostle Paul was homeless? I mean, that's crazy. Jesus himself, it says, didn't have anywhere to lay his head. And so you ask the question, how can a person be dirt poor, filthy rich, and at those extremes still love God no matter what? And the answer is there in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I love that. I love that because he didn't take the credit. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm wised up now. I've been around for a while. I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I've kind of grown strong. No, he said he was able to be content because he was dependent on the one who strengthened him. And that's the key. You know, probably two of the most important verses in all the Bible are John fifteen five, where Jesus said, without me, you can do 
nothing. Does everybody take a breath? You couldn't do that without Jesus. You got to know that, right? Without him, we can do nothing. It says in John 15, 5, but in Philippians 4, 13, what does it say? I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not some things, all things. I can do this. And when we look at this, for us, it's, it's just life-changing to know those two verses. You know that we can do all things. Whatever it is that you're facing, this is the key to victory. So I wish I could talk to all of you guys today, even though probably not all of you would want to talk to me, but I wish I could talk to all of you and just say, hey, man, what are you facing today? What's your impossible situation? What's your challenge in life? There should be challenges in which God is stretching you to do something. You know, you're like, man, I want to be that kind of husband. I want to be that kind of wife. I, I, I want God to move, you know, in this crazy situation with my kids or with my family or with my finances or in the ministry, whatever it might be, whatever the challenge is. You know, I, I wonder what it is. And then we just put this into the challenge. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, the way that it, it begins is, number one, you've got to tell the Lord, I can't. I can't do it without you, Lord. I can't. That's really the beginning of this. I need you, Lord. And when you're there at that point, he will meet you so much so that you'll be able to say, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, uh, no matter what it is, I was thinking about Tim Tebow. I want to show you guys a little picture of him. This is him on the cover of Sports Illustrated. How many of you are familiar with Tim Tebow, some of you guys are. Now, don't talk to me afterwards and say, Manny, he's not perfect. Listen, none of us are. Uh, but this guy right here, he waited until he got married, if you know what I mean. I mean, this guy, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's really cool. His story right here, he, he, I mean, he made Christ known by, by this whole Philippians 4.13. I guess it was in 2000 year, his junior year at the University of Florida. He was in the locker room getting ready to take the field against Tennessee, and he noticed that the other players were writing their zip code or their mother's name on their eye black, right? And so as I was looking at these guys, he said, you know what, I'm going to write Philippians 4.13 on mine as a way maybe to encourage those who are looking through binoculars or those who are watching uh, through television. And so that verse is the one we just read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he called it the perfect verse for a football player. And so the media quickly picked up on the unique message and it caught not only the, the, the attention of those in Gainesville, but nationwide as Tim Tebow began to wear the eye black with that Bible message on every, in every single game. And the Gators went on to play and they won the national championship that year. And so this guy, it's an interesting story. Now, does that mean if you wear Philippians 4.13 under your eyes, does that mean that you win every game? Yes. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> In one sense, you do. Because he said, I learned to uh, abase and I learned to abound. I, I know about winning and I know about losing. And I, and I can go through this in humility even when I lose and in, in grace even when I win. And so, you know, one of the things that you see is basically it doesn't matter whether it's finances or football or family. Maybe you're out there and you're facing some type of fear. Whatever the thing is God is calling us to do right here, God says, listen, we can do this. The answer is, though, we must do it with God's strength. And so Paul was content. And so does that mean the Philippians shouldn't have sent him the, what they sent? No. Look what he says in verse 14. Nevertheless, 
You have done well that you have shared in my distress, my troubles, my difficulties. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And so interesting, I want to show you guys a map that we kind of have an idea of what Paul is talking about right here. So this right here is Paul's second missionary journey. It was right around 3,000 miles. Do you know how much it costs for him to do this missionary journey? $50,000 for every individual that would be doing that journey. And so Paul the Apostle was a tent maker, and a lot of times he earned his own you know, way, when he was in Corinth, he worked. When he was in Ephesus, he worked. But he also would periodically get some donations. And so, you know, he's traveling 3,000 miles. He, he takes the gospel to Europe. I mean, it's just amazing what God did through this guy who's so passionate about the Lord. But then if you hone in on this, I just want to see, I think the next map, it actually shows it closer. There's Philippi. And so these are the Philippians. This is the, the guys that he, he writes the letter to. When they got saved, Paul said, then Paul, when he eventually left Philippi, as he goes down to Thessalonica, the Philippians sent him a donation. And then when Paul goes down into the regions of Achaia, he would eventually go to Athens and Greece. He would spend uh, a lot of times in Corinth. They again sent donations to him. And so what Paul is saying right here is you guys cared. You guys shared. You guys gave. The moment you got saved, when man, when I left Philippi, you guys were on me. You guys were praying. You guys were supporting. No other church did that but you. That's what he says right here. Look again, what we read in verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well as you shared in my distress. You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the Philippians gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Paul never asked for money. He never did. But the Lord laid it on people's hearts to give to him. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. There he was in Corinth. As I mentioned earlier, he was a tent maker. He was working, right? But he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them, he tells the Corinthians, to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. Imagine that. I don't got any food, but I'm not going to say anything to anyone. He says, when I was there, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked. The brethren who came from Macedonia, again, the Philippian church, they supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. You see, it's a lesson for us, you guys. I, we live in the United States of America, and we've got so much. And again, I'm not saying that you can't have the nice house, a nice car, that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that let's make sure we maintain that heart that says, I'm going to give, I care I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I see the need. And so I'm going to give like the Philippian church did. It's an inspiration for us. You know, when I look at this right here, a couple of words stand out. 
Number one is the word distress. There in verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you've shared in my distress. And that word is my difficulties, my struggles. Maybe the Lord will show you someone who is struggling, someone who's going through difficulties. And you know, yeah, of course, God is going to provide for them. But maybe you'll be the vessel through whom he provides. And so uh, we have been recipients. I mean, I'm just so grateful to God and his grace and his people. Man, just blows me away. We have to grow in this. We have to have this heart. So that, that word is an interesting word. You see people going through difficulties. Number two, look what it says there at the end of verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And so here's a, an apostle... And he's getting a, a donation, but it notice it's not for his luxuries, it's for his necessities. It's not that he's going to go and buy the 10,000 square foot mansion, right? It's not that he's going to get, and some of these guys, you see them on TV, have you seen them with a $4,000 suit? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I hope you guys know this, all right? Um, it's okay for you to have the, the mansion. It's okay for you to have the, the fancy car, whatever that might be, but not for a pastor. Not. Pastor Chuck, he taught us. He taught us to say, you know, live simple lives. Live simple lives. I remember there's this one guy, he was a carpet cleaner. And uh, one day he got a call out, uh, I guess it was over there in Orange County, and he goes to the house and he, you know, is in a, uh, whatever, clean the carpets. It turned out to be the house of Pastor Chuck Smith. Now, Pastor Chuck Smith could have been a billionaire, a millionaire. He could have had a huge house, you know, but he chose to live a simple life, drive a simple car, except for one, it was a fixer-upper, a real nice one, you know, one of the older ones, that was kind of cool. But, you know, just he just said, hey, as a pastor, no. And you see these guys on TV, I hope that never becomes you, man, because then God is going to get you if you're a pastor. Now, if you're a congregant, it's different. Uh, congregants are different. I mean, you've got the owner of In-N-Out, uh, Lindsay Snyder, man, she's so rich, but she's wise with her finances, and she loves the Lord, and she loves people, and she is committed to the ministry God's called her to. So there's a distinction here, but for us as pastors, what Paul is saying right here is, no, no, I don't need like the donations for my luxuries. Maybe uh, I appreciate the donations for my necessities. You know, Paul explains more in verse 17 why he's so passionate. He says, not that, that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I hope you know that as you give to the one that the Lord lays on your heart, as you're giving to um, the apostle or the gospel, whoever the Lord leads you, that God will crown your kindness, that God will bless your benevolence. When, when we give to those in poverty or to that legit ministry, it blesses God and it pays dividends eternally. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not live for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And so just think, you guys, and again, remember, it's not the sum, it's the sacrifice. Remember that, right? Some people, the Bible says, they give out of their abundance, and they can't even feel it. Others give, and it hurts when they give, right? So one day when we're in heaven, who knows, man, maybe I'll be your neighbor, and I'll be living next to you, and I'm going to be like, man, you got a big old mansion, huh? And I'm going to be living in my tent over here, right? And a lot of it has to do with whether or not we gave while on planet Earth. That's what Jesus is saying. And when you're investing into the things that are eternal, what ends up happening is God will then bless you. And what happens is your heart is there and not here. And it changes everything. And so you can actually do this. You can actually lead your heart. You can lead your heart. Where do you want your heart to be? Do you want your heart to be on earth? Then just invest in the things on the earth. But do you want your heart to be in heaven? Then invest in the things on heaven. You know, we need to do this as a church. I hope we're inspired by the Philippians. Paul says, this is what I want for you. Later, he would write to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 14. And let our people also learn, there's that word learn again, to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. And so Paul writes in verse 18, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And check this promise out. And my God shall supply all your greeds according to his riches. I was joking, he doesn't say that. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. He was thankful. I mean, if you got a donation, I'm sure you'd write a letter of gratitude, right? He wrote the letter, and he says there in verse 18, I have all, and I'm abound, I'm full, Paul says, but I'm not fooled. He says, when you gave to me, you didn't really give to me. When you gave to him or her or them, you didn't really give to them. You gave to God. That's what he says right there. And God is pleased, he says, with this acceptable sacrifice. It's like a sweet-smelling aroma to him. And I, and I pray that we would know this as we give. Uh, Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. No, for us, we need to know that this is an important part of our life. I remember when I first became a Christian, one of the things that um, the pastor would always say is you can tell a lot about uh, a, a person's you know, walk in, in, in what they do with their wealth. And so you know, that really kind of stuck to me. Um, when, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the time when Jesus was watching as they were giving in the treasury in Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. And he was just seeing even this poor widow. She only gave a mite, but she gave everything that she had. Imagine what kind of reward she will receive in heaven. And so Paul here is just blessed by them. I know that you guys have done this. It's pleasing to God. And I want you to know that God will therefore supply all your needs. 
not greeds, but needs. And I want to just pause there for a moment and just basically talk to you and talk to myself that that's really, I think, where we get in a lot of problems. You know, we can't give to God. We can't share. We can't care. We can't help the poor, the homeless, or maybe those, you know, in Cambodia or whatever it might be, Mexico. A lot of times it's because we have confused our, our needs for our wants. And these, are, I just want this. You know, you, you want, you know, I don't know, 2,000, 2, you know, television stations. Yeah. And, and you want the, the new clothes all the time or you want all that stuff. And again, it's something between you and the Lord. I have to be careful that I don't cross my lines of personal convictions that God will give to you. But I think that we all need to really check our heart, myself included, because sometimes people can't tithe. They can't give the 10%. They can't give, like Malachi says, the tithes and the offerings because they have confused all their wants for needs. You know, you can't live without that. And so you've chosen not to give to God because of that. These are things that we really need to be careful of. And Paul here says, listen, you give to God, he'll supply your needs and he will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. I love Psalm 23, 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, I won't lack. Why? Because God is my shepherd. We can trust him in this area. Nehemiah nine twenty one says, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet, feet did not swell. And so for us, you know, and I know it's very, very relevant. May God give us wisdom in, you know, in caring as we give. May God give us wisdom and contentment with what we have. May we invest in the kingdom of God. And may we understand that even though this is a challenge and there are many other challenges in life, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You know, Warren Wisby said, we might state it this way, if we were to paraphrase Paul. You met my need, Paul said, and God is going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but my God will meet all your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of his riches in glory. You know, maybe this is your first time here at Calvary Chapel Almani, and you're like, man, they're talking about money. You know, uh, one of the things I've noticed, we don't do this usually. We're just teaching to the Bible, and this is where we're at. But I've, I've noticed this without a shadow of a doubt, that every time I talk about tithes and offerings, the offerings go down. It always happens, man. And so I just want to tell you guys this, okay? I want to tell you guys this. That's okay. This is between you and the Lord. It's totally secret. I have no idea who gives what. God will always provide for this church. God will always provide for this church. God will always provide for my needs and our staff's needs. He's, he's an awesome God. So it's not for us. Paul, so Paul's saying, it's not for me. It's not, I'm not telling you this for me. I'm telling this for you. That, that if we would be like the Philippian church, if we would be like Paul who was content, the Philippians who were caring, it, it really is a life-changing truth. And so for us, you know, right here, Paul, as he closes, notice what he says in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.
he knew a lot of the people there in Philippians uh, church, but he just, you know, covered everyone. Remember, uh, the saints are those who are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so it's not those who are special Christians. It's just those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. He says, greet everyone, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. And that could have been those who worked there in the palace. It could also have been literally family members that Paul had wandered Christ there in, in Rome. But I love what he says in the end, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that's the key, isn't it, huh? The grace of God has unmerited favor. The moment we place our faith in Christ, how he blesses us even though we're not worthy. Such an awesome God. Uh, so let's close with a few things, you guys. Uh, number one, we'll look back at the outline we talked about. Uh, be caring with the money you give. And so may the Lord lead you in that. And then number two, be content with the money that you have. Um, like I said earlier, if God blesses you financially only because you're working hard or you're being a wise steward, that's fine. But don't let that get in the way of your calling and commitment to Christ. And then the next screen right here, it adds a couple of things to it. But I think as we've gone through it today, these are words that we can remember. Four C words. The first word is care. The second word is contentment. The third word is can. I hope that you know that no matter what it is that you're facing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as far as Christ goes, this is talking about a personal relationship with him. And as we, first of all, begin that relationship by accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, we then, for the rest of our lives, we abide in him, like John 15 says, and then he gives us the strength. And so one last uh, Tim uh, Tebow picture that I wanted to show you guys uh, is it was something that was interesting. It was actually on the same year that he won the national championship. Can you guys see what Bible verse he has underneath his eyes now? John 3.16. So before the whole season, junior year 2008, it's Philippians 4.13, but this is what happened. They went on to play the national championship that year against the top-ranked Oklahoma Sooners. Um, before the game, Tebow said he felt God telling him to change the verse. And so he decided on John 3.16. And so Tim Tebow, he told his coach, uh, his coach's name was Urban Meyer, he said, I'm going to change the verse. And the coach said, oh, no, you don't. You don't change the verse. Because, you know, they get superstitious, huh? They get superstitious in sports, right? And Tim Tebow said, listen, it wasn't the Bible verse that won uh, the games for us. It was God. He says, and I was praying to God. I was asking him, you know, uh, about this. And today he put it on my heart to put John 3.16 underneath my eyes. And so he put that in there. Praise God. They went on to win the national championship game with Tebow throwing two touchdown passes, okay? Here's the thing, okay? Those two verses, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let me just say something to you. If you internalize those two verses in your heart, you whoever you are and whatever you're facing, you will win. Number one, by accepting Christ. And then number two, by accepting his strength. And that's what happened to them. You know, Tim Tebow, 
to me, it's kind of like the Philippians, man. The church is an inspiration to me. The way that they gave, that Paul didn't ask, they just gave because they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a lot, but they gave, they cared, they loved. That's an inspiration to me. Tim Tebow is too. You know, here's this guy and he does a lot of benevolence and he waited on the Lord before having sex. He, you know, I'm going to wait until I get married and just the different things, you know, that he's done. Again, I don't know if he's perfect or not, but all I know is I'm just so blessed by this and what God ended up doing was such a cool thing because late, later on that night, after they won the championship, uh, the national championship, he was having dinner with uh, his coach and they got a phone call from the team's public relations staff telling him that during the game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16. Can you believe that? Man, this young man wasn't afraid, bold, understood his calling, the platform, the whole, you know, what was really on the line wasn't the national championship. It wasn't that. It was, I was created for Christ. I was created for his glory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you can too, by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and letting him be the strength of your life. And as a result of that, man, who knows how many people got saved, but I do know there were 94 million seeds that were sown that day because of this man and his boldness. He went on to say that he was humbled at how big God is. And so that day, that message reached 94 million people. Today, my prayer is that if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today that message would reach you. You, whoever you are, maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you've been here many times, but you know you're not right with God. It's because you don't know how much he loves you. For God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross where he paid the penalty, he paid the price. They put him in the grave, he rose again. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him that's all you have to do. We were talking to someone after first service. It's such a beautiful thing. You don't have to go and earn it. You don't have to try to be good enough because you never will be. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. And so if you have not yet done that, my prayer is that you would today.